The Yankees could have a serious outfield logjam, and it just might have an impact on DVR squad from a recent ale-only auction. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, April 27th. I am Al Melkier, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper. And uh, DVR, seems like ages ago that it seemed like uh, just every show we were talking about the Yankees' injuries and particularly the outfield situation. But it's been a while, but we have we have some updates. And I think uh, this could really be of uh, concern to you um, more, more than maybe the uh, the average owner. Because you just recently did an AL-only auction, you spent a whole bunch of money on uh, Miguel Andahar, and uh, maybe there's a collateral impact here. But let's let's get to the news first. Um, Aaron Hicks, who of course is recovering from Tommy John surgery, he's now up to doing physical therapy three times a week, and is swinging and throwing, still targeting a June or July return. Uh, that's from a report that was recently published on MLB.com. So DVR, of course, we add that to the continued reports that we've had over Aaron Judge and, and John Carl Stanton uh, working their way back, looking likely to play whenever the season does start. Of course, James Paxton, too. He'll be good to go. But that outfield situation, what does this change, if anything, for you, knowing that Aaron Hicks may actually be a part of that, quote unquote, opening day mix? You know, Aaron Hicks, I think because he's the best defensive option that the Yankees have to play center field, does cause a pretty big ripple effect if he's healthy enough to play whenever this season might begin. You kind of have to just trace it out. So if Hicks is playing center, where's Brett Gardner going to play? Okay, Brett Gardner's probably going to play a lot of left field. Aaron Judge, if healthy, plays right. And then Giancarlo Stanton DHs, which leaves us wondering, okay, where does Mike Talkman play? That kind of makes him the fourth outfielder. And where does Miguel Duhar play? And the answer to Induhar, I think, is a little more complex because he has a good enough arm to play all over the place, but he doesn't really have the range or the instincts to play a lot of positions yet. So it's really complicated because I think part of Induhar getting regular playing time was a lot of us maybe writing off Aaron Hicks for at least a significant share of the season and the resulting trickle-down putting a guy like Brett Gardner in center field, and maybe even seeing a little bit of John Carlos Stanton in the outfield, which I think the Yankees are really trying pretty hard to avoid. So uh, the possible return of Hicks definitely has a, a major effect on just how exactly the rest of the depth chart comes together. And another name, too, that I think we need to get around to here is Clint Frazier, because uh, you and I discussed him, again, back when there was spring training, and it looked like with all these injuries and us assuming that there would be a normal opening day, that Clint Frazier was suddenly somebody who is in that mix. So we've got a couple of different factors here that we've got all these players who are now uh, recovering, having more time to, to get ready for the season. Uh, and But we also face the likely specter of expanded rosters. So does this sort of bounce out for, for Clint Frazier, or do you think that there are going to be so many players now in that outfield logjam that uh, he's sort of back to square one and, and really out of the picture. I think he's back to square one if everybody else is healthy. That is a big if, though. I mean, even if those players that we're talking about, even if Hicks 
reports to whenever spring training begins again and is healthy and Aaron Judge is healthy and John Carlos Stanton is healthy, do we expect all three of those guys to be just fine going forward? I mean, I think that's probably a leap of faith given the various injuries each of those players have dealt with. And I think there's also some kind of friction between Clint Frazier and the organization that sort of leads them to round down on his role. Like they'll use him if they have to get some major issues defensively last season, which uh, pretty much offset the contributions he made with his bat. I mean, he was a slightly above average hitter in terms of WRC plus last year at one Oh eight, but he was so bad defensively that he was basically a replacement level player. And I think just the fact that they can send him down, he doesn't have to clear waivers. I think that means he sees time at AAA or as just a spare part on the roster. You know, I think we don't know what the minor league season is going to look like. Uh, so that complicates things just a little bit. But 2020 is the last year in which Clinton Frazier has options. And I kind of expect the Yankees to go ahead and use that. Yeah, I mean, no reason not to, really, if uh, they've got the full complement uh, back there. Uh just real quickly, I want to talk about another outfield situation, and that's the Giants, because there was a report uh, from Francis Romero, who, in full, you know, full admission here, full disclosure, I had never heard of before, not verified for whatever that is or isn't worth. Uh, but Romero uh, tweeted on Sunday that Yasiel Puig is close to signing with the Giants. I didn't see any kind of um, verification of this from other sources. I did see a couple of tweets from some uh, Giants beat writers, including Andrew Baggerly, and he said he asked uh, Farhan Zaidi about it. And here's the quote from Zaidi. Uh, we're not having any conversations internal or external about player transactions at this point. That's it. And that I think is pretty much we something we could take for granted because there is the transactions freeze. So was he being coy? Is there really nothing there? I think this is something we're just going to have to sit on and, uh, you know, wait and see if, if there's uh, any actual teeth to this. But uh, DVR, given that there is a transactions freeze, do you think there's anything for us to really watch all that closely? I think it makes sense for Puig to end up on a big league roster. I think he's a good enough player, even with any concerns teams might have about him off field, where players with worse offenses have been acquired as distressed assets, right? Roberto Ozuna comes to mind immediately. Yasiel Puig's done nothing like that. And, you know, here he is still a free agent as a potential two or two and a half win player. He, he would make plenty of outfields better. And even a rebuilding team like San Francisco, you, you could see him being the kind of guy that in a shortened season, maybe he gives them enough of an offensive lift where that brings him a little closer to being a contender for what could be a deeper group of playoff teams. Like That's one of the possibilities as well. So I know there's been some links between... Puig and the Giants going back to, geez, I want to say maybe February at least. I kind of wonder if this is actually going to play out in a way where he gets that opportunity and ends up playing quite a bit at the expense of some younger players who maybe aren't ready or would have been platooned and splitting up playing time anyway. Yeah, and your memory on that was really good uh, because the Baggerly tweet also mentions that there were uh, discussions uh, at some point looks like early March or maybe before. So the, the timetable you have, uh, it looks like it's about right. But it, like I said, I, I think we need to sit on this for a little while and see what happens. But if there is um, 
some some truth to this. I think it's really interesting because the Giants, uh, while overall it doesn't seem like a real crowded roster, there is some depth in the outfield there, including uh, possibly Mauricio Dubon, because I, I had read a report recently that uh, he might be slated to play center field. So that could be really interesting. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll have more to talk about there with that one. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, just go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code BASEBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BASEBALL for 25% off your first order. Let's go back to your uh, your recent Triple Crown auctions. You uh, had the uh, mixed auction that we talked about on Friday's show. You also last week had the AL only auction with the NL only still to come. Uh, so as I already mentioned, DVR, uh, you uh, spent uh, more than $20 on Miguel Andujar. Uh, you have a number of uh, you know really uh, enviable players uh, to have in your your core, Anthony Rendon, Garrett Cole, J.D. Martinez, uh, Araldis Chapman's your closer. Uh, so what uh, what sort of approach did you go in with? Because uh, it's not exactly stars and scrubs. It's really you had the, the prices pretty well spread out here. Uh, what what was your your goal going into this? My hope was to go a little more stars and scrubs as I'm comfortable to do that both in only leagues and in mixed leagues. But this being a 15-team mono league, it threw the room off a little bit. I think for the most part, people didn't spend enough money early, and that's why you'll see some strange prices on a lot of different teams. I mean, Andujar was one of the last potential everyday hitters on the board when he came up, and when I paid 24 it was because I probably had 50 or 60 bucks left for about seven roster spots, and there wasn't anybody on my sheet worth more than 10 bucks. So rather than pay four or $5 for a bunch of $1 guys, I said, I'm at least going to get the best remaining player here, regardless of what it takes. And it took $24. Um, I think the, the funny thing about this though, is we bought fewer players than we often do. So a lot of our leagues for labor and for tout wars that are AL and NL only are 12 team leagues, 14 hitters, nine pitchers, 23 spots that we're buying for 260. This was 11 hitters, 7 pitchers for 260. So only 18 roster spots to fill with that same 260 budget. And I think that just that really made people uncomfortable in some ways and, and just unsure about their valuations a little bit. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Like I, I, I kind of <laughs> like this. I kind of like the 15-team mono league better because the rosters look a lot more like the rosters that big league teams put together. I think it's in a strange way uh, a better way to replicate that. And and sometimes that's missing in a lot of our formats. And uh you know, there's a lot of balance and questions too about 
what do you do with saves in a 15 team league AL and AL only or NL only? I mean, you have to make that decision right away. Am I paying for a good closer? Am I buying a couple non closers hoping to stumble into one or two? And uh, it seemed like saves got spread around pretty evenly in this one. Yeah, which means nobody was really able to, you know, bulk up in that area uh, with so few to go around. Um, so uh, that, you know, it's an interesting point about the the format and, and the roster configuration making people uncomfortable. How did you deal with that? Because uh, you know, if I go into a draft that's odd like that, I lean pretty heavily on the the Fangraphs um, uh, auction uh, value projector. Uh, you know, because you can you can customize it and put it in there, and it you know gives you at least something that might be more in the ballpark. Is there a particular tool that you like or a method that you use uh, to to make that adjustment? Yeah, so I use the RotoWire in draft software for pretty much all of my drafts and auctions. I think it's because I, I worked there so long before I worked for the Athletic that it's the tool that I'm most familiar with. I think it's well built. Um, it's able to track what other teams are doing. In terms of their roster builds, you can look at standings as you go and kind of see through Rotowire's projections how you're doing. You can track your category targets. So there's lots of flexibility in that. And I haven't thrown a league format into that software yet that causes it to give me some values that I don't trust at all. So that's that's good. I've done a lot of different drafts and auctions over the years. Uh, and generally, I, I think it, it held up fine in, in this one. And that's how I came away with you know, Garrett Cole at 44 was a few dollars below his projected value. I think JD at 38 uh, was at least three or four dollars below his projected value. Anthony Rendon at 33 was probably one of the best expensive buys of the entire night. I mean, he should have probably gone for 40 in a format like this. So uh, to get discounts like that early is great. Uh, what I failed to do is I failed to buy enough expensive players and spend up the money. And that's how I ended up overspending a bit on the bottom of the pool. But when the whole room does that, or most of the room does it, fortunately, you don't get punished quite as much as uh, you would if everybody else had kind of caught on to the pattern. Right, right. Um, so I would certainly agree with you about Rendon being a good bargain. Uh, of your cheaper players, your dollar players, two, three dollar players, were there any in particular that stood out and you were you know, doing a, doing a fist pump <laughs> uh, getting the, the players so cheaply? You know, I was actually pretty happy to get Willie Castro for a dollar. I've been comparing him to Kevin Newman from last year, just from a, a rotisserie standpoint, where we have this guy who's he's on a bad team. He can actually do a little bit of everything, might have a better batting average floor than people realize, has some pop, definitely has a little speed. And because he's on a rebuilding team in Detroit, there's a good chance that once Willie Castro takes over as the starting shortstop, which shouldn't take long, that he's also going to get a prominent spot in the lineup. So uh, he was one of those guys in the end game that even though I would have liked to have secured more playing time at shortstop, I was at least happy that I got one of my guys at a discount. Yeah, and I liked it too. And, and the flip side of that, uh, Nico Gudrum, who is the incumbent that... Uh, Castro would would have to steal time away from. He went for fifteen dollars, as did Travis Shaw, as did uh, Kyle Seeger. And to me, it's really a case of one of these things is not like the others because fifteen strikes me as a really nice price for Kyle Seeger. I'm not sure that I, you know, and again, maybe it's a question of of auction dynamics, but um, that really stood out to me that Gudrum and especially Shaw went for that same price as Seeger. 
Yep, those guys all came out probably in the third hour of the auction. Uh, so desperation was definitely a theme, and uh, there were too many teams with too much money. That's simply what happened there. Uh, of the three, I do think I ended up with the player I liked the most. I think you know, Travis Shaw had back-to-back great seasons in Milwaukee before things fell apart of them in 2019, and now he's got a chance of hitting in the heart of an improving Toronto lineup. So there's definitely some bounce-back potential there. That Goodrum's versatile enough to continue finding playing time in Detroit, even if they move him off shortstop to accommodate Castro. But I feel like you're not necessarily wish casting anything when it comes to Kyle Seeger's playing time and Kyle Seeger's lineup placement. And there's a possibility that he gets traded to a contender because I think of all the all the teams getting a potential boost in a shortened season. I don't think that's enough for the Mariners to become a postseason team this year. And I think Kyle Seeger is one of those players who they're still looking to move. Wish casting is a word I've not heard in a long time. Good. <laughs> Happy to dust that one off for you. Yeah. And uh, one more uh, player just to really underscore discussion that we had on Friday's show. Carlos Correa, again, coming very, very inexpensively. $21 in this particular format uh, to me is is pretty much mind-boggling. And especially when you look at the fact that Jorge Polanco went for a dollar more. Uh, Elvis Andrews went for the exact same price, $21. And Willie Adamas, just $4 less at 17 And I wasn't there. So maybe you can you know fill us in uh, in terms of the timing of all this. But that certainly is a, a great price. And, and I think it just further, further illustrates what a bargain Korea can be. Yeah, I think Correa probably went about an hour before some of the players we just talked about ahead of the Seeger, Shaw, Goodrum bunch in the $15 range. And I think some of the price uh, juice on those three guys was the result of all those teams missing out on Correa as a possible infield filler. We combine corner and middle in this league into just one infield spot. Uh, definitely, Carlos Correa is one of those guys that he could be a $30, $35 player in this format. I think we've seen it in the batted ball profile. We see it in the still low strikeout rate. Uh, if you prorate what he did last season, the numbers were outstanding. So definitely one that got away for me. I had the money for it. I think I just underestimated what I'd be able to do later on with one more $20-plus player on my roster. And it turns out I did get one more $20-plus player on my roster with Andujar a lot later. And I would much rather have Correa at 21 <laughs> than Andujar at 24. So definitely um, a wrong turn for me uh, in, in particular with uh, Correa. Yeah, I, I think there are very few people who would you know w- want to pass that up but had had other plans. And that's just a part of uh, auctioning uh, for better or for worse. But uh, yeah, if that had been a full season, I think we could have maybe called that even a breakout for Correa, which is, which is really something. Uh, if you want to get even more perspective on this ale only auction. Uh, not only uh, was DVR there, but also our colleague Nando Defino, who uh, I believe he was uh, filling in for Ian Khan. Uh, do I have that right? Yeah, he got roped in by Ian. Okay. Uh, so Nando wrote about it for The Athletic. Uh, so do check that out. A 15 team ale only auction with no baseball in sight? Sure, why not? Uh, a very Nando, Nando title for a very Nando piece, uh, which means it's must read. So uh, check that out. And check out his recent piece on uh, fantasy weather, too. 
Uh, really, really fun stuff. Uh, so, uh, but we'll be back not with fantasy weather, but with more fantasy baseball, because that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15, uh, or give our 90-day free trial a whirl. Either way, uh, everything that we do is a part of your subscription. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Tuesday. Mm-hmm.